to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. Very well indeed. How are you doing? I am so excited to be done with this series. <laughs> I. It's been a long boy, is not it? It's been a long boy. And I, I kind of referred to it in, I think, part two, in that it has taken longer for me to write about Joseph Smith and the Mormon church than it took Joseph Smith to write the Book of Mormon. That's a long time. And I think as well, what needs to be remembered is this idea came around, what, before Christmas? It was like early December time. Yeah. And it's sort of just been on the mind since then, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Forever looming over. It's Rowan's fault. This whole thing is Rowan's fault, by the way, so if you want to blame anyone. (laughs) This whole thing is Rowan's fault. Um, Yes, no, this is uh, part three. We are... Uh, finishing the series here uh, with this part three. So, um, should we just get on with it? Should we just start it? I think that's the best way to do it because this is going to be a, a long boy, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah, this is going to be a long episode, everyone. Um, possibly one of the longest um, from start to finish episodes that we have done. Um, so, there will be a moment toward the middle um, that I will say, if you want to take a break this is probably the time to take a break uh, and you can then pause it and then come back to it whenever you're ready um, because I understand it's going to be quite lengthy, it's quite wordy and there's quite a lot of information. Um, That's nice, it's a nice little intermission. To be fair though, we haven't released an episode in quite a while so it's good to come back with a long one. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah we have had a little break. I've been just trying to write this and just trying to not think about anything else. Um, so yeah, yeah we, we've needed this. Uh, and also... Um, before we start, um, what was it? We had one listener uh, sort of jumping in with a little correction. Um, forgive me, I forget the name just because I thought of this off the top of my head. Uh, about Jesus when he died and then sort of was resurrected. Um, there are sp- apparently stories of him doing other things after he was resurrected because I was like, he kind of just disappeared and we don't really know. Um the whole Jesus thing, I find an interesting sort of topic with, you know, what does he do from when he's born to when he's then crucified? And there's like loads of weird stories. It's basically Harry Potter of him just sort of walking around talking to animals and doing weird shit as a kid. And they're like, oh, you're a wizard, Harry, or Jesus. And he's like, I'm a what? <laughs> you're a wizard. Um, and then, yeah, apparently he does some other things after he is resurrected. Um, yeah, but one of the funny things in that comment was that yeah, I'm not very aware of Jesus' gap year to the Americas. I find that quite funny. Um, but yeah, so apparently there's more to it. If you want to know a bit more, do do look into it. Um, and also, yes, there will be lots of things that I have missed out. And um, they a lot of these things are for a reason. I'll sort of come to it later on when um, we're going over the show. But um, I can't do everything because this show would be ridiculously long. And this, show, this whole entire podcast would turn into a Mormonism podcast and obviously that's not what we are so there will be some things that I have missed out um, some things that I don't necessarily cover in detail um, but it's just to try and save time with that said let's go for it let's go for it all right 
Mormons, part three, revelation, revelation, revelation. Okay, so at the end of part two, Joseph had been violently tarred and feathered. His young congregation was facing violent threats from the locals and was facing a potential rebellion from a new Mormon settlement in Missouri. Oh, and there was the horrendous attempt at resurrecting a dead child. But we move. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, we remember that. That was, that was, that was something. So what has been going on in Missouri? Well, if you remember, Oliver Cowdery had been sent out to find a new Jerusalem, a land where Mormons could live in peace and thrive. And he had kind of done that. See, Cowdery, the first missionary, headed out and found himself in Independence, Missouri. And if you'll remember back to our Olive Oatman episode, Independence was the main jumping off point for people heading out on the Oregon Trail. It was the last main settlement on American soil. And at this point, if you were to go any further, you would simply exit America and be in this weird no man's land. Except it wasn't no man's land. It was land that was owned by Native Americans. But, you know, as far as the Americans saw it, it was like, well, this is the end of the world. (laughs) But at this point, it was very much a backwater kind of town with the dregs of society living there. Oliver Cowdery had his work cut out for him. Back in Ohio, before the tarring of feathering, Joseph received word that Cowdery had found New Jerusalem and was well on his way to converting the masses to their ways. So he made his way to visit this new colony and was a little underwhelmed by what he saw. Instead of a bustling community living the dream, he found Cowdery with four converts. Now, this isn't much to write home about, and really, you'd probably just take it as a loss and just quietly ignore it, maybe just sort of pretend that it didn't happen. Except, Joseph kind of did write home about it. He made a revelation that he'd received from God that Missouri would be the promised land and that everyone should move there, which some were beginning to do. Joseph headed back to Ohio, where he kind of hoped that the whole Missouri thing would just blow over, but it didn't. Back in our present time in the story, just after Joseph has been tarred and feathered, he was hearing reports from Missouri that the Mormons living there weren't too happy. Seeing as Joseph had claimed by revelation that Missouri was the promised land, many people had moved out there and converted. In fact, there was around 600 or so Mormons living there, and they were a bit pissed off that the prophet wasn't living with them, and they were beginning to feel a little neglected by him. Which kind of makes sense, because you're like, this is the promised land and we should all definitely move there. And everyone's like, okay, cool, let's go. Where's the prophet? Ah, he kind of lives somewhere else. Why? This is the best place to be. I don't understand. (laughs) Um, Now, it really was, um, in an attempt to calm them down, this easy, right? He went out to visit the congregants who were pleased to see their prophet. And it was as simple as showing up and going, oh, wow, look at what you're doing here. I'll be sure to join you out here ASAP. And they were like, yay! And then he just headed back to Ohio just to use this as a way of boosting his importance because then he went back to Ohio and he's like, wow, look how amazing I am with this religion that I brought you. It's going so well. We've got a very well-established settlement in Missouri. So he kind of played them both on one another. But in Mm. reality, he doesn't have a very well-established settlement it's going about as well as it is in his own settlement in Ohio. 
There were constant threats of violence, as he was dealing with, and a very real fear that they could be killed if they didn't leave Missouri. But that is a problem for another time that we will cover. So back in Ohio, Joseph is really trying to give this whole religious leader thing a go. And for context as well, um, as we've not really covered it for a while, at this point in time in the early 1830s, there were just shy of 2,000 Mormons under Smith, which is a, it's a sizable amount. Like I think that's pretty good for 1830s, you know, no social media and whatnot. He's just converting people around him and sending the odd people out there to go get converts and bring them in. I think he's doing pretty well. And before we get into it, there's this really thin line between religious leader and cult leader. And I think that line starts to get crossed really from about here on. Obviously, I'm aware of the other things, but I think he thinks he's a religious leader with the raising of the dead child and all that sort of stuff. At this point, I think he starts to take the piss. And when you start to take the piss, you become a cult leader. And hopefully you'll sort of spot it as it happens. It's already sounding a bit culty. It's got similar vibes to, I don't want to relate it to Jonestown because that seems unfair on Mormons, but sort of how that started, sort of a religious uprising, everything was going great until it wasn't. That's really interesting. I hadn't, now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, there is quite a few similarities, you know, where it's like, it's quite nice at the beginning. It's a very community-based thing. It's a, a religious experience and then it gets bad. Obviously, it doesn't get that bad for Mormons, obviously, but... Yeah, I like that. Um, no. Now, there's a reason that this episode is called Revelation, Revelation, Revelation. During this time in Joseph's life, his revelations really amped up. It's like he knew that people weren't going to question it much if he said it came straight from God. He had the power and he definitely abused it. Now, not a lot differed Joseph and his Mormons from other random religious sects that popped up all over the place. And remember, um, we were talking in part two, especially in Ohio and whatnot, there's loads of random Christian sects that just sort of just pop up. A dude stands on the back mm. of a barrel or... Uh, back of a barrel? There is no back of a barrel. Stands on top of a barrel or on the back of like a wagon. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, God's this, God's that. And there's like maybe 10 people stood around him. And it sort of just dies out really, really quickly. But obviously... These guys are a bit more, but sort of what made them similar is the fact that they had really no established place of worship. In fact, like Joseph would hold most of his meetings with church elders in his own home. A lot of his sermons were sort of just done outside of his own home. Um, but mm. when he had his church elders in the home, this really pissed off his wife, Emma, but not for the reason you might think. See, she was getting seriously sick and tired of cleaning up after the lads when they came over. Now, chewing tobacco was all the rage at the time. And you've definitely seen this in old Western films where, you know, they're, they're sat in a saloon and they're just chewing tobacco and they spit it in a bucket. You, you, you've seen it. We've definitely yeah. seen it. Yep, yep, well, yep. that was the case in Joseph's house. His boys would all be over discussing church stuff, chewing tobacco and spitting into a bucket. But oftentimes they missed and Emma was really sick and tired of cleaning up after them. Yeah, too right. Oh, yeah. Now, she thought it was a bad habit anyway, and she wanted Joseph to ban it from the house. But you can't go up to your boys and be like, listen, lads, I know I'm the prophet and I only answer to God and everything, but my wife says you can't chew tobacco in the house anymore. You just can't do that, right? It's not going to go down very well. <laughs> And he also needs his wife, Emma, 
to really still be on side since from part one we're really not that sure how much she's into this. She follows Joseph, but he is her husband and she kind of just goes with it a lot of the time. Luckily for Joseph, he had a couple of revelations from God that dealt with the issue for him. And this, uh, it's just so convenient. He claimed that God revealed to him that chewing tobacco should be stripped back and probably not done at all, which that's a win-win, right? It's quite a coincidence that God said that at the same time that his wife had an issue with it. <laughs> right. Joseph, we've got to stop them chewing the tobacco. It's such a dirty, disgusting habit, and I'm fed up of cleaning after him. And he's like, well, what, what's that? Sorry, God? Oh, so, yes. Funny <laughs> you should say that, God. She was just mentioning that. Emma, he says that you are not allowed to do it anymore. <laughs> and that's pretty much what he did with the boys. He's like, listen, lads, you can't get annoyed at me. This came from the top man. Um, it's definitely got nothing to do with the fact that my wife is really fed up of cleaning up after you. <laughs> um, and, and, and obviously it keeps Emma happy as well because now they're not going to clean up. They're not going to be spitting all over the place. Emma's happy, keeps her quiet and off his back. And now the boys have got to just sort of go with it. But um, it the may fucking have... boys. The boys. I, I I love referring to like his little gang as the boys or the lads. I just love it. I love it. It's just this little weird thing, this man thing. And they're like, oh, look at us. And it's, it, it's such like a patriarchal thing. They think they're better than everyone else, yeah. these boys, sort of these lads. It's just a bunch of men getting together. Bun- yeah, just, just, just a bunch of men. We're sat on a table, we're having a drink, and we're just talking about stuff and how we're going to dictate to all these people what we do. I, I, I find that such a funny end image. Um. Now, the problem is, it may have gone a bit too far. Sidney Rigdon, who was a close follower of the um, church, and he was a higher up in the church, um, he put forward a vote. He, he was quite a strict, conservative older dude. Um, and he was like, listen, guys, I think we should go further with this. You know, God's saying that we shouldn't be chewing tobacco. Well, what is tobacco? Tobacco is an altering substance. I think we should get rid of all altering substances to be more pure and that would include lads tobacco alcohol and even hot drinks it's just fucking boring what's he gonna do with <laughs> I the know. boys what are the boys gonna do that you know they're playing pool they're not having a drink what's going on and and to this day mormons can't have any of it so even a cup of tea or coffee that's out the window because it's a hot drink I don't get hot drinks. Hot drinks, I think, at the time, and, and, and we'll probably discuss this at a later time. Uh, I, I think it's the caffeine is the issue, maybe, is that with uh, a lot of the time, I think... I mean, caffeine is a drug, it's I a, guess. It's an altering substance. But, like, I've just recently, I think over the past oh, six months or so, I've become proper English and I can't start my day without a cup of tea. I just can't do it. But... I, but this morning I haven't had one and I feel it, like I feel it. So that must be like some sort of withdrawal. I um, I, I came to my, to my parents and I had a cup of tea and I found out they've started using decaf tea bags. Ooh. And I just, I, I, the rage that filled me, I was like, what's, <laughs> what's, the, the, what's point? the point? <laughs> well, this is the thing. So I reckon at the time, most people just drank coffee and obviously coffee is caffeinated, which is an altering substance. So when they said just no hot drinks, I think mainly the only sort of hot drinks you got were coffee. So it, I think that was the thing. So we can't have like a hot chocolate in front of the fire on Christmas. Well, this is the thing, right? Listener Gina has been helping us out. And when I mentioned hot drinks, she kind of like was like, oh my God, let's talk about hot drinks for a second. And was like, Mormons love a hot chocolate. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. That's a fucking hot drink though, <laughs> isn't it? It's a hot drink. <laughs> but yeah... Uh, by definition, that drink is we'll hot. We'll chase her up on that one and try and figure out what's going on there. Um, but yeah, 
I wonder what they think about like herbal teas. Are they ever sipping on some sort of green tea? Well, so peppermint this is the tea, thing, maybe? Right? maybe a chamomile before well, bed. Well, no, this is the thing. If you're wondering what else is banned, I do have a small list here, right? And this list is probably a lot more Please. extensive. I'm mean, just not a small one. So, you mentioned teas. Any form of tea, including green tea, herbal tea, anything tea, it's banned. Um, right. Uh, coffee. Um, alcohol. Then, yeah, fair. Any type of recreational mm-hmm. drug, like marijuana and whatnot. Uh, even recently, okay. obviously, vaping is a new thing. Vaping is also banned, as it is a form of smoking. Um, and if right. you're curious, since the original doctrine stated hot drinks, you would assume that iced tea or iced coffee would be okay. Oh, but yeah. it is not. The thinking is that it was once a hot drink, that it may have been brewed to make it. So you cannot have that. That logic's not right. sound, but okay. <laughs> and a general rule of thumb appears to be if it has the words Chino at the end of it, it's probably banned. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, we'll chase up Gina with, with, with you know, the drinks issue because I do think it's funny. Um, anyway, what Mormons needed, carrying on, uh, was a place of worship, right? That would help to legitimize the faith. Uh, it would bring them, it would separate them from any other random sect around the area. Um, and it would also give the boys somewhere to do their business without Emma getting all in their grill. Well, as luck would have it, Joseph received another revelation from God. They were to build a temple, a place that was, quote, wholly dedicated unto the Lord for the work of the presidency. You can guess who the presidents were. Joseph and the boys. And it's like, God, God's oh, yeah. literally been like, lads, now I can see you need, to, you need a place to do your work. So I'm going to make a revelation here. You guys need a temple excellent god like not a man cave right just you know you need a temple i love it a proper temple now it was quite impressive for its time to be fair and you know even looking now the kirtland temple is relatively nice to look at i suppose um now supposedly every man mormon man woman and child was involved in some way with the construction of the temple it's built up of three floors the first floor also can i just take an aside here um this confused me for way longer than it absolutely needed to. Americans don't use the term ground floor. No, right. I've seen this before. It's just you go straight into the first floor, yeah, don't but you? Like, but it's on the ground. No, I, I get it. I think both, both, it all has logic. Because it is. The, if you walk in, it is the first floor. It's the first floor that you're on, but it is also the ground floor. I think they both do make sense. But then to say that the floor above you is then the first floor, that that's where it gets a bit weird. <laughs> All I got is that you know you know those memes where it's like laughs in British and it's just that guy in the fucking British soldier uniform holding a cup of tea or it's like laughs in Imperial when it's like our weights are all different. I just got that in my head right now because I'm like, no, it needs to be ground floor. Nothing right. This is a massive pet hate of mine. Nothing pisses me off more than when I'm following a recipe and it's clearly an American oh, recipe. It says cups. And they're like Use oh. two cups. What the fuck is a cup? <laughs> Who said cup? I'm not, that's not a unit of measurement. And it, 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 you, Americans will do everything in their power to not measure things properly. <laughs> that's so good. Just a fucking cup. I get it because like you can just scoop up, but then cups have different density. Yeah. Like flour and water, for example, they'll they'll weigh yeah. different. It, it, oh, it stresses it. So there I am fucking Googling how much is half a cup in grams. Yeah, because you know, we're like, oh, we need certain grams. And it's like, no, just get a cup. 
I get it, it's easier. If you have the measuring cups, I'm sure it is easy, but I don't have that because I was born in England and was taught how to weigh things. <laughs> oh. I like grams. I like, But then also, um, speaking to Luca about how the Germans weigh things, that's fucking weird really? as well. But then suddenly I'm getting persecuted for being how weird we're... Yeah, because they use kilometres. I don't, I don't work oh, in yeah. kilometres. That stresses me out. I work in miles. Use metric. And she's like, oh, I run like... 3.6k today I was like, what, what's that <laughs> uh, how many miles is that is that how many kilometers an hour are you going it's, it's miles an hour miles works better than uh, yeah i do enjoy that like you think with speed and you're like oh 60 miles an hour i know what that is but if someone says like oh 70 kilometers an hour i'm like i have no idea what that means but then i guess their logic is it's what a thousand meters in a kilometer something, or something. like that so they work in meters, but then I don't work in meters. I work in I don't work in yards. That's stupid. No one works in yards anymore. Um, I don't know. A short measure of distance. I don't meet. No, maybe I do work in me. I don't know. I'm getting ahead of myself. Either way, England's right. <laughs> England Everyone else is, is wrong. Right. Anyway, as I was saying, what a tangent just from the fact that Americans don't have ground floor. This is hilarious that I've just written a fucking entire thesis, not a thesis, a project on why England is a stupid country that doesn't allow other things from other just cultures here. Talk. And here's me straight away bashing people's measurements. <laughs> so anyway, <clears throat> back to the Kirtland Temple. Right. So as I was saying, it's back to it's built up of three floors, right? The first floor, the first floor, which is ground floor, um, is dedicated to worship and sermons. It has uh, pulpits both front and back of the temple, which was used for the two different priesthoods of the church, the Aaronic priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood. Um, now, as I've mentioned uh, quite a few times, Gina has been helping us out with research in this series. She's been a massive help. Um, she's trying to explain the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods in basic terms for me, um, but it is still unnecessarily confusing. So, um, as far as I can tell, the Aaronic priesthood is the lesser of the two, and it's all boys from the ages of 12 to 18 who partake in it. Um, it's something to do with like an, an old, an, a guy called Aaron, maybe, who was like a, a sibling to um, Abraham, and he's one of like the first priests or something like that, and they're part of that priesthood. It's very confusing. Uh, and then you've got the Melchizedek's. Uh, and Melchizedek apparently was like some priest king, uh, like way, way, way before Jesus was born. Um, it's all very confusing. And the Melchizedek's offer young men 18 and over, and they're usually the ones who go out on mission. Um, so these are the guys that we would know as the elders. So if you've seen the Book of Mormon, like Elder Cunningham and all that, like those guys would be a part of the Melchizedek priesthood. So everyone kind of does it, I believe, nowadays. But back in then... It it's, it's really weird, but I just want to get this in here while I remember. Ever since we've started doing these episodes, <clears throat> I've just moved back to Birmingham, God forbid. But in uh, <clears throat> apologies, in Bournemouth, as soon as we started doing these episodes, I noticed a lot more Mormons. You know, you can just see them, like white shirt, black tie. They just look yeah. sharp, and they've got their name tags on, carrying the book, and they just look really happy, really lovely people. I just there was I don't know whether there was like an influx of them or something. We never had anyone knock on our door, but they were just always just wandering around. Like yeah, in there are certain areas where they tend to stay. There's like so many thousands of um, like tens of thousands of like missions around the world, like places where they just go. Um, They're lovely people. My granddad. Um, because obviously Jehovah's Witnesses are a bit more overbearing, huh. and the Mormons are very nice people. 
uh, generally speaking. So when the Mormons knock on his door, he'll stand there, have a chat to them, take a leaflet and just sort of entertain them. And then when the Jehovah's Witnesses come, he'll then have the Mormon booklet next to the door <laughs> and then he'll get it and just start preaching Mormonism That's to fantastic. them. Um the thing about Mormons being overly nice, that's kind of their thing, but also like it's kind of deliberate, but also kind of not because they know if you're uber nice to them, that might get you. And it's been getting me, obviously. Um, uh, James, we've I've messaged you in the last... Yeah, I had a very worrying <laughs> message. I've been watching, guys, so many fucking Mormon videos of like the, the elders now and people in part of the church and documentaries and all these things with, uh, with Mormons in it. And they're so lovely and they're so nice. And like, I'm just like, oh, these guys are really nice. Oh, I could just get on board with this. And then I'm literally writing, being like, Joseph yeah. Smith was a dick. And I'm like, oh, but they're so lovely. They're really nice, normal people. And it's like, oh, God, I can't, I could get on board. I just don't believe what you're on about. That's what people do is now a Mormon podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, Malchizedek's ironic priesthood. Listen, it, it's very confusing and I'm really not going to get into it in, in any more detail than that. Um, we may do it at another time and ask someone who knows a lot more than us. But yeah, back to the temple. The two priesthoods would be sat either side of the temple in their pulpits, right? And then you've got all your congregants in the middle and they would literally, I'm not joking, they would literally have to turn around to listen to either side. Um, in fact, when they built the temple, they installed the benches in a way that they could be adjusted and moved to face the other way so that you could listen to either side. And I could just imagine that being an absolute pain in the arse, like someone from the ironic priesthood being like, uh, and now we shall pass on to the Malchizedeks if everyone would like to turn their benches around. And then there's just five minutes of shuffling of just they're all just trying to turn <laughs> around and falling over each other, just moving the bench for the Malchizedeks to then just start talking when really they could have just put the pulpits either side of one another and we would not have to do this. Mm. It's almost like God had a flaw in his plan. Anyway. It's just the logistics are off. Yeah, just a bit. Now, the second floor was dedicated to the School of the Apostles, and it's almost identical looking to the first floor, but with a few differences. The pulpits are not as elaborate like the ones downstairs, and as I said, is mainly just designed for teaching the future apostles and church leaders. So it wasn't necessarily used as much. It was just, you know, when people were doing lessons and whatnot, you just all hang around there, be preachy and all that kind of stuff. Now, the third floor is the House of Order, and this is where the church official offices were kept, including Joseph's office, where he would spend quite a bit of time. Now, as mentioned, it's quite impressive for its time. It was built by the community who really had no business building such a large place. A lot of them had no experience in the matter, and here is where I start to have a few doubts. Uh, now, I don't want to sound like one of those people who claim the pyramids must have been built by aliens because humans can't have done it. But these really are just farmers and, to put it nicely, simple people trying to live a simple life. And apparently now mm. they're construction workers. Now, I'm a savvy lad but I don't know how to build a shed out of bricks, let alone a huge multi-storey temple. My point is, I think there were builders on hand paid by the community and it's just been slowly left out of the history books. 
And f- Are you saying you don't have just that male instinct of construction? No matter how big it is, you'll build it. Bro, if I put up a shelf, it's wonky. It's basically a ramp for whatever I put on it. No, that's fair. My DIY skills are awful as well. Um, <laughs> I- it's just like the Amish, isn't it? Where did they learn that? They can knock up a fucking barn in an hour. Oh, God, yeah. I, I, it's one of my favourite family guys skits when they're like, someone knocks it down and they just build it in about a second. <laughs> just keep rebuilding <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, the Amish would be an interesting episode, wouldn't also, it? Also, I would say we'd get one on to interview, but... How the fuck do you do that? Mm, yeah, it's technology, isn't it? They can't. I don't know. I'm not doing another. I'm not doing another religion. I'm not doing it. Um, but I'd also love to just out you in front of like you. You said about your DIY skills. It did take you about twenty minutes to put up your microphone stand today. Yeah, I'll get really angry with it as well. It's because I just don't. I don't have a table here. It, it's that's it. it's so one. annoying. But it hasn't fallen over yet. So touch wood. Yeah. But actually, no, it did fall over. But yeah. Anyway, we move. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> this is just like a little dig my own personal gripe here which is definitely coming out and I actually wrote it in the script but anyway I, I genuinely think that a lot of it there was a load of builders on site that helped to build the temple and they've just been slowly left out of um, the history books right and then I've gone on to say about how this is so petty of me uh, I've, you know right I've seen lots of people on Instagram who've been built, who've been buying new build houses, but they're not actually built yet, right? So they've bought it, they put the deposit down, and they're being. F- oh, that worries me. That does. Right, yeah, exactly. Because I've seen loads of TikToks of how like badly put together they are. But I've seen yeah. quite a few people that they're like, and I'm not even sure if this person probably listens to the pod, but oh my god, never mind. Where like they've they've got an Instagram account where they talk about their new house, and they're like, oh, we visited the new house, and we we put a nail in this fucking bit of wood that's on on that's just got nothing to do structurally with the house and then they think they've built their own home and it's like no you haven't you've not built your own home you've just put a nail in a random place that was probably taken out anyway afterwards when you left i mm. i don't know why i'm being so bitter about it i just want to have my own home <laughs> help yeah i want to get a new build though but anyway that's an aside that's just a conversation yeah. now anyway The same goes here for architecture, right? When doing research on the temple, one of the official church documentaries on the temple loves to go on about how Joseph was not an architect. How did he know how to design such a building? It must have been the Lord who revealed the plans to him. But I would like to add that they did hire a builder that we do know of called Artemis Millet, who was from Canada, right? Now, Artemis Millet, they're always like, oh, he was a Mormon. And it's like, I don't think he was. See, Artemis Millet was from Canada. He was not a Mormon. He was a builder that was contracted to come over. Um, But the problem is, they were like, no Mormon can work on the temple. But since they needed someone who knew what they were doing, Joseph Smith had him conveniently baptised, I think mainly to shut everyone up and then to keep the story going. Um, He also did have to bring his own money they were like, oh, you're going to come here, you're going to build a temple, but also you're going to pay, you're going to give me some money to go toward the, the materials to build it. And he's like, okay, thanks. That's so annoying. I mean, I suppose builders do buy their own materials and that's what you're paying for. But regardless, imagine that. Yeah. Oh, we've got a Mormon builder. Yeah, I had to convert him to do it. <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense. You have to convert everyone somewhere, but like this guy was specifically brought in to do this job. Anyway, I'm getting very bitter mm. about this whole thing and I don't necessarily know why. The temple was finished by 1836, where they held a dedication to the temple. Nearly a thousand Mormons squeezed into the temple for the service that lasted seven hours. That's too long. It's too long. Now, at some point during the service, the story goes, 
people began to feel a wholesome presence in the room, whereby Joseph stood up and proclaimed that an angel had come to the temple and sat down to enjoy the service, and he would later go on to say that the angel was Peter who had come to enjoy the service. I reckon what actually happened was people were beginning to get tired several hours in and Joseph needed to pep everyone up again. I genuinely believe that that was the thing. He's just seeing everyone sort of there. Everyone's getting a bit hangdog. You know, their heads are starting to droop and he's just like, there's an angel. And everyone's like, oh, what, what, where, where? I reckon that's what happened. That does make sense. Seven hours. I can't imagine the seats were that comfy. Oh, no, they were wooden. Wooden. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah. Now, regardless, the temple was a success. Shared experience strengthens relationships. You tend to hang around people that have shared a similar thing to you. It's very common in cults for this to happen. Everyone suffers together and their fanaticism is strengthened by the fact that they're all doing it together. And in this case, they were all involved in the creation of this temple. They had all laboured to make it a reality. Blood, sweat, and I imagine tears went into this project, and they are now bound together by it. And Joseph even revealed that Jesus appeared before him and Oliver Cowdery when praying alone one day, which definitely helps. You know, you've been part of building this, and they're like, wow, not only has an angel come and seen it and he absolutely loves it but Jesus was wandering around as well and being like why have you put the pulpits on either side of the building <laughs> <laughs> this is good news for a religious leader it strengthened his power but if some if there's something that can make the most loyal people falter it's money see the temple costs somewhere between 40 to 50 thousand dollars which is a lot of money. Like In today's money, that's around a million dollars or so, which is a lot. Now, I don't know about you, but I ain't too sure my local community can just whip up a meal without some serious tightenings of the belts. And the hmm. Mormons couldn't either. So loans had to be taken out by Smith to build the temple, and it needed to be paid back. Problem was, there wasn't much money within the Mormon coffers to start with, and it didn't help that there was also a slight banking crisis going on at the time. Inflation at the time had caused the cost of land and food to skyrocket. Something we in inflation. the inflation. Yep, What's that? Yep. Something we in the UK are all too familiar with at the time of writing. It, every time I go shopping, everything's more expensive. It's ridiculous. It's a fucking joke, and I'm sick of it. <laughs> oh, it's. I don't get it. Oh, I'm about to go on a rant. I just I don't get in this country the fact that in England we are so just hell bent on just accepting anything that happens. It's like every time something bad happens, you go yes, but think about the war. They had it tough too. That it doesn't matter anymore. And I know people think they don't say that. They genuinely say that. Oh yeah. They genuinely fucking believe that World War Two is still a thing, and it pisses me off so much. I think we need to do what the French do and just fucking burn some things down. <laughs> well, it. it... It is a genuine concern, apparently, that's been raised is civil unrest if this does go on for too long. Um, there's obviously, uh, for anyone who's not obviously around the UK or aware of the news, obviously high inflation rates at the moment, a lot of uh, interest rates are sky high, things are costing a lot more money. Uh, obviously, most people have an energy crisis going on. Um, but we have a movement currently uh, called Don't Pay UK, which is basically people saying um, uh, when the energy bills go up, they're currently like a, a uh, they're a lot of money a year and they're expected to go up by a lot more uh, very, very soon. Um, and this, this this sort of group have been like, no, if it comes to it, just don't pay. And it's like, yeah, but then I'll have no lights. 
it literally doesn't work like that. I, I love the sentiment. I love the, the general protest, but it doesn't work like that. You need to fucking hold these bastards to account. I just, I don't want to incite violence, but if you need to set a fucking car on fire, do it. The French do it, and it appears to work. And in winter, that would keep you warm as well. It does sound- people are going to starve, and people are going to fucking freeze. It's not. The state of this country is vile, but thank God we voted Brexit, because, you know, we don't want to be part of the EU anymore who seem to be doing better than we are. Well, no, luckily for us, we have a new Conservative Prime Minister that's about to come in and fix everything that the last 12 years of conservatism has done. It's just, it's just, the whole thing's a shambles. And for people, my last comment was very sarcastic. I don't know if you're a Brexit supporter, if you're listening, it doesn't matter. But I implore anyone to look me in the eye and tell me Brexit was a good idea. (laughs) Because it, it, it just wasn't. It just, it just straight up wasn't. Mm. Um, I had this argument with my very Tory grandparents the other day, and obviously, like, I've got quite close affili- affiliations with Germany now, and I was talking about what, what what they were up to, and they were like, "Yeah, but they're gonna go into recession soon, aren't they?" I was like, "What do you mean? Like, you can't just make hypothetical arguments. We are literally going into recession. We are, you man, you yeah. can't just point a finger and be like, look what they're doing. They seem to be doing well. It's what aboutery, isn't it?" Oh, it's it's abs- it's nonsense. But but you can't say anything because some people fought a fucking war eighty years ago. None of the fuckers are still alive. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to it. This is already a long episode. We don't need more politics. Um, <clears throat> so, b- because of these uh, financial issues at the moment, it meant that people would struggle to afford food. But obviously, they couldn't get a loan to buy the food because the interest rates were ridiculously high. That and the fact that Joseph Smith had already credited the church with significant debts from loans to build the temple. What you end up getting is a vicious circle. Luckily, as he always does in times of need, God made another revelation to Joseph. They would set up their own bank, known as the Kirtland Safety Society. And it wasn't a bad idea in theory. Many companies and states ran their own banks with their own notes. And naturally, not every Tom, Dick or Harry could operate a bank. It needed to be backed by an official bank or by a significant amount of money in a vault, right? Um, Now, not to get too much um, into this bit, but money has a certain value, right? A value that we generally all agree upon. It used to be done by weight, so like a pound of silver was worth a pound and that kind of stuff. But now, obviously coins as as an example don't necessarily weigh what they say they are so in the uk a pound does not necessarily weigh a pound it's not worth a pound of anything it's just it is a coin now that we agree that it is worth a pound um and the same thing goes with the introduction of notes right a 20 pound note is not worth 20 pounds it is worth 20 pounds because we all agree that it is worth 20 pounds and if you go to a bank and give them a 20 pound they will give you 20 pound coins in response to that um The problems arise when you begin printing money, but you don't have the gold reserves that back that, right? Um, Which I believe is what happened, you know, do you remember when Northern Bank in like Newcastle went down? Because people were going to the bank and they're like, Northern Rock, that was it. And you'd go, well, it it says on my banking app here that I have £500 and I would like to take that £500 out, please. And then they'd look in the vault and go, well, I don't have £500 to give you. 
Yeah, it's that's why you can't print money to like solve problems. What the one thing that always blew blew my mind is on if you go on an English banknote, it's technically an IOU. If you read at the top, it's like I promise to pay the bearer the sum of X amount. Yeah. So it's like it's money without being money. Well, no, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like we all agree that this is this has a value, and that value would be you know general notes that you find in the UK are twenty pounds. So you then give this to a shop, and you say, listen. Uh, the Bank of England has said that this is worth £20 and I'm going to give that to you. And they go, oh, excellent. Thank you. This is worth £20 and you are now going to get £20 worth of things. And then they take that £20 to a bank who then says, yes, again, you have £20. It's it's, it's an interesting concept that we just all agree upon. And if we all just decided tomorrow... It's a proper belief system. Yeah, it is, isn't it? If we all just decided tomorrow that we just don't want to follow that anymore, that that, that would be such an interesting world. Yeah, prices and stuff are belief systems as well. I used to have this weird fucking teacher at uni, really strange guy, definitely took far too many drugs. He's like, go into Tesco and pick up something you want and go to the cashier and start bartering. It's like, why is this this price? Yeah, yeah. It, it should, it, I want it for less because this is a belief system. I, we should haggle. And I'm not going to go and just annoy some fucking underpaid <laughs> yes. 18 yeah, year old yeah and this is but i, I get the sentiment but yeah and again not to sort of go off the tracks too much again but like realistically that's where inflation comes in right so a company sets a thing at a pound and we all earn a certain amount of money and then if we get a pay rise the companies that sell that thing for a pound go well everyone makes a bit more money now they could probably afford to pay a pay increase on this thing so now it's one pound 20 and then we all just accept oh this is now one pound 20 and it's like a vicious circle you get a pay increase everything goes up with it um, which is why, it, but that's when inflation goes too far. Like if you if your wages don't match the inflation, well, exactly. Suddenly you're then getting a pay decrease. Exactly. Um, which is why like there's this there was a fantastic and I'm sure I mentioned it maybe on the Oswald Mosley when I briefly covered economics in my sort of layman's terms. Um, in that like someone online was like, oh, uh, you got Jeff Bezos and uh, Elon Musk. They could give a billion pounds to every single person in the world, and that would solve world hunger. And it's like no, that would cause a massive economic crisis because bread would then be like 50 billion pounds yeah it's um when was it was it after the first world war or the second world uh, war in um germany the, i'm not sure just after you, the first you'd go into a shop or whatever pick up a loaf of bread that says x amount and then you get to the counter and in the time it's taken you to walk from the shelf to the counter the price has gone yeah. up the economy was that yeah it's, it's mental isn't it um I believe in like Tanzania. Or I, there was sorry that that it's just generalising. Uh, there was a, a nation in Africa that um, bread was like a billion pounds or something, and they have a note for it, and it's ridiculous. You can still find these notes that are worth a billion pounds. Um, but no, mad. It's mad. Now, it? um, yeah. Anyway, people, what am I doing? Now, unfortunately for the Mormons, they were denied a permit to operate a bank by the Ohio legislature. But they went ahead and did it anyway, operating an illegal banking society and called it an anti-bank because that would apparently make it okay. Now, they began to print out money and sold loans using the currency. In fact, Smith started to pay off his loans and had managed to circulate around $30,000 of his new currency around the community um, of, of, of a bank and a currency that is not legal yet. It could all go horribly wrong, and he's offered about thirty. And I'm saying he's he's offering out loans. He's trying to get money back into the church, and a lot of these people, he's like, "Well, listen, have some of this currency. Give me your money and buy this note." So you're like, "Okay, well, I'll give you five dollars for five dollars of Kirtland Safety Society banking notes. Thank you very much. It's worth nothing. They basically just bought paper." Um, 
and it's it's scary that $30,000 worth of it got circulated around his community of about 2,000 or so people. That's scary. And he's also paying off his debts with a it's basically fraudulent money. Now, unsurprisingly, the bank failed almost immediately. I'm talking like a month after launch. 13 lawsuits were placed before Joseph Smith for unpaid debts because they're like, you've basically just come up with me with monopoly money and told me that you, oh, we're, we're good, right? And you're like, no, that's not how this works. Um, <laughs> and his debts had mounted, right? Remember the church, the, the temple itself cost between forty to $50,000, right? And he's now come up with this really amazing scheme that, remember, God told him, so it can't be wrong, make your own bank. <laughs> his debts now are totaling around $150,000, which is a heck of a lot more money than the original debt for the temple, which is just scary. Like, yeah. I can't even imagine knowing that you have that amount of debt and you can't pay off. Now, you can imagine that many in the church were pissed off. Many thought that while Joseph was the divine prophet, he wasn't very good at running the day-to-day business. And it was at this moment that God made another revelation unto Joseph. He said that it should be the congregation that ought to pay Joseph's debts. And you can imagine how that went down. Imagine the balls, the absolute balls. And this is where I'm saying, like, this is where you've gone from religious leader to cult leader because you're now taking the piss. You're now saying, oh, we've got all these debts. What's that, God? Oh, guys, God says you have to pay it. And they're like, no. (laughs) Most Mormons weren't all that wealthy as it was, but those who did have land and cash, they were not willing to pay the debts of Joseph. Um, There was something where like he's arrested later on and like a big, big bail money was set and the Mormons did manage to gather a bit of money and pay that bail to get him out. But on the whole, they were not willing to fork out hundreds of thousands of uh, dollars for his personal debts. They were like, no, absolutely not. You took out these loans. That's your problem. So Joseph did what he Mm. thought was best. He got on a horse and he skipped town to go on mission in Canada. (laughs) Uh, It's like, I'm out. Bye. I'm I'm just popping out to get some milk. And he never came back. That milk, he's definitely, that milk's definitely gone off by the time he comes back. But when mm. he comes back, he found his congregation had split in two. Now, there were those who had stayed loyal to Joseph, but there was now an offshoot that consisted of Oliver Cowdery and Martin Harris. Now, if you remember, James, these guys are the original scribes of the Book of Mormon. Yeah, now, this yeah, might yeah. sound surprising at first, but not so much when I tell you that it may have been exacerbated by Joseph being a little bit too horny for his own good. Excuse me? Yeah, mm. Let's take a second to see what home life is like for Joseph. Now, he would have nine biological children that we know of with Emma, and he had two adopted twins, so 11 children in all. But only six of them would go on to adulthood. Now, losing children would be a strain on any marriage, but Joseph was the prophet. He had other responsibilities as well. And Emma was also a bit cautious about the whole religion thing, as we know. She was on his case about the tobacco thing, which caused a revelation. She also was not a fan of Joseph taking tithings from his congregation, believing it to be charity that they didn't need. The church loves to paint Emma and Joseph's marriage as a marriage of harmony, but in reality, it was like any other at the time. 
There would likely have been bickering, and the rearing of children and the loss of children likely had its toll on one another. And Joseph, as a man in his 30s, started to develop a wandering eye. It's here that the first inkling of polygamy was made apparent. In 1835, just as the idea for the temple was being conceived and built, it seems that Joseph, a 30-year-old dude, had become rather enamoured by a 17-year-old girl named Fanny Alger, which is a fantastic name. Anyone called Fanny is just wonderful. Now, she'd been living with the Smith family, helping out around the house, when it's said that he seduced her and began an affair. When the affair went sour, as they usually do, he excommunicated her from the church. The church has since gone on to declare that Fanny Alger was Joseph's first plural wife, in a vain attempt at protecting his legacy. Joseph would go on to be so horny that he would fundamentally change his whole religion to make sure it fit. And we will get on to the polygamy soon, I promise you. Now, some of Joseph's closest boys, like Oliver Cowdery, Martin Harris, weren't overly happy about the whole affair, including, as I say, people like Oliver, who was witness to the affair and aired his opposition to it, which caused Joseph to excommunicate him as well. Because you don't talk against the prophet, dude. And again, more cult leader like, he just kicks you out. You don't like it, you can fuck off. Simple. Now, they had split apart and were now following a little girl who was supposedly able to tell the future by staring into a magical black stone. Now, I can't tell if they really believed it or if they were just pissed off at Joseph and were trying to make a point. There were many people who fucked off after the failure of the bank, just fully quit the church and they were pissed. And this is the thing for me, James, like throughout his time as leader of the church, there are many moments where Joseph is found out and many see him for what he is and leave, right? Um, But there's always Mm. enough of them who believe hard enough to see past it. Um, Like, you know how, like, even today, currently in the UK, again, political, um, that Boris Johnson is just a lame duck prime minister, right? He's just sitting there waiting for a new prime minister to to take over. And yet you've got Nadine Dorries who's still like, he was amazing. And it's like, no, he wasn't. He's a bit of a shit prime minister. And it's like, no, he was amazing. And it's like, I listen to LBC and it's just constantly people just being like, Boris Johnson got all the big calls right and he's amazing. And it's like, no, he wasn't. Like, why are you all so blindsided by it? And that's like people with Joseph Smith. They're like, he tried to resurrect a dead child and they're like, yeah, but he's amazing. And it's like, no, he's not. No, he's not. He 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 failed. At, he made an illegal bank, and it's like, yeah, but he's the prophet. And you're like, no, he's not. He's not. Come on. <laughs> now, when Joseph finally returned, hoping that all had been forgotten, he literally just put his head in the sand and was like, I can't hear you. Um, he was shocked to find out that that was not the case. Right, he was still being chased for some of his debts, and many ex Mormons were pissed at him. And now there was a warrant out for his arrest for major banking fraud. Now, in retaliation, the creditors and ex-Mormons had created a mob and burned down the building where the money had once been printed. And Joseph wasn't safe either. He was chased out of town by the angry mob and they carried on chasing him for 200 miles. Now, imagine that, right? If it's difficult to do so. That is the equivalent of being chased from London 
and only stopping when you get to Leeds. That's a long way. It is a long way. Imagine that, being chased for that far. It's, I can't. Yeah, that's how much you know you're hated. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then I guess American distance works different, doesn't it? Like, they're down the road is a lot further than our just down the road. Yeah, it's mad. You're like, oh, I'm just going, I'm just going to go to my mum's today. And you're like, okay, where's your mum? She's about an hour and a half down the road. What? Yeah. What? Like, what, a three-hour drive to Americans is nothing, but if someone asked me to do a three-hour drive, I'd laugh at them. Yeah, yeah. So here is where we need to go back in time just a little bit and leave Joseph whilst he's running his 200 miles. Now, earlier we were going over the settlement in Missouri and I left it saying that there was a real threat of death. See, Mormons had their issues with neighbours. They weren't overly happy with others of Christians, uh, other types of Christians living around them being all weird and different. But what was the big issue with Missourians? A couple things, really. They, weren't, they were concerned with the number of Mormons that were moving into the area. They began to believe that they would be overrun by Mormons at this point, where um, political offices, judges, lawmen, they'd all be Mormon. But there wasn't, that wasn't the biggest problem that they had. The biggest issue was the fact that Mormons at this time in particular were anti-slavery, and Missouri was a slave state. Now, it really is hard to get to grips with how much hatred pro-slavery people had for abolitionists. Um, now, one of the things with this pod um, is, is, is we always try to understand the hows and the whys as to how people can do such horrific things generally. But this is actually something that I have never been able to get my head around. My 21st century mindset just cannot imagine being pro-slavery so much that I would be willing to kill other people who didn't agree with it. I, I can't do it. No, it, it's quite it's, it's quite polarising, isn't it? Thank God the world has progressed the way it has. I guess the one thing I'm likening it to, and I'm, for, like, I'm hesitant to do this because in no way am I comparing the two things but people are very adamant they want to keep their gun laws and i dare say some people would kill for that possibly yeah i i could imagine so i that. guess that's the modern day modern day equivalent I, I saw a tiktok the other day of some fucking typical rednecks screaming about how they're taking people's rights away by trying to remove guns and then it just like a woman duetted it and was like i wonder what it's like to have your rights taken away and i thought yeah fair you've got him there mm. Because there's, I, I, generally speaking, I reckon that guy was very uh, anti anti abortion, pro life, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's it's I, I I don't know. We we could have a fucking a long conversation about gun laws, but not for now. Yeah, we could. But yes, I I can't imagine being so pro slavery that I would kill for it. And that's what it is. Like I can't imagine being pro, so pro anything that I'd kill for it. To be honest with you. No, and this is insane. Like Missouri at the time, like I say, is a slave state. I and mean, all you've got is a bunch of Mormons just walking in, just being like, "Yeah, we don't, we don't agree with it." We're a lot of us are abolitionists, and they're like, "Um, uh, get the fuck out of here, or I will kill you." Like, I, I can't, I can't, mm. I can't imagine that at all. I just don't. In any way, is that logical? I don't get it. Um, now, in a rare moment of backpacking here from me to Mormons in general, um, most Mormons came from northern states like New York or even from other countries like England where slavery was either banned or abolitionist movements were strong. So, naturally, many Mormons were anti-slavery. And you'll be surprised to hear that considering what was said in part two, Mormons were actually quite sympathetic to Native Americans as well. Now, 
they were trying to convert a lot of them to the Mormon way. But for really weird, skewed reasons. Now, if you remember back to part two, in the mythology, Native Americans were once a tribe of Israel that fell out of favour with God who turned their skin red. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because God's racist. Um and Mormons mm. believe that if they were able to convert them back and bring them into the ways of Jesus Christ, they would genuinely they genuinely believe that they would be able to turn their skin white again. That's quite that's quite a quite an interesting viewpoint, isn't it? That the, the fact that not also are you religiously just confused, the fact that you have such disdain for anyone that's not white that you think they have the ability to then become white if they accept God. Well, yeah, I mean, you also have to remember that in, in the mythology series, you've got, it was the Lamanites and the Nephites, and uh, the Nephites were God's chosen people who allowed them to keep their pure white skin. So as far as Mormons were concerned, like being pure white and being having white skin was the way forward. So for the the, the, the Nephites, uh, the Lamanites, sorry, who were like the ones that end up getting red skin. It's like, oh, it's because you need to accept God again. You need to do that. And imagine that, like the idea that they think that if they converted them, they'd just in the morning wake up with white skin again. How different would they look? It's mad, isn't it? The fact that this was before a time of actually understanding science as well. Because obviously, <clears throat> it's why racism's so fucking dumb. It's just about melanin in your skin, about how your ancestors were close to the equator and things yeah. like this. It it's it, it it's it's fucking stupid, mm. but but yeah, yeah. utter madness. That's utter madness is what it is. Anyway, because the Mormons uh, were you know, sympathetic um, with with slaves and native peoples, uh, they were often a target by the racist slave owning Missourians. Now, the Missouri Mormons had established a newspaper in the area, mainly for fellow Mormons. However, it was this newspaper that caused them some serious problems. There was an unsanctioned article describing the church as an unsegregated church and that it was likely a good thing that people were slowly beginning to turn on slavery. So again, like, you know, rare pats on the back here from me. I'm like, yeah, well done. Well done. Stick stick to your stick to your guns. Yeah. I like that. Now, you can just imagine how the reaction went down for Missourians. Slave state Missouri did not like it. They threatened the Mormons to leave the state or there would be dire consequences. But it's here that I take away all those pats on the back. I was uh, all, all the pats on the back that I was giving them for anti-slavery. No, nope, I'm having them all back. Thank you. They almost immediately retracted their initial article and then put out this quote. And and uh, it's a little bit old timey wordy. So you know, if you don't get it, I'm happy to rephrase it. Um, quote: Having learned with extreme regret that an article entitled Free People of Colour in the Last Number of the Star has been misunderstood, we feel in duty bound to state in this extra that our intention is not only to stop free people of colour from emigrating to this state, but to prevent them from being admitted as members of the church. They basically just be like... No, 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 no! You've misunderstood. We're not, we're not anti-slavery. Like you keep doing your thing. And listen, um, we we don't like black people, and we won't have black people in the church. Just, just leave us alone, basically. They've definitely gotten death threats, haven't they? Or the threatened to like burn down the temple oh, yeah. or whatever, and they've just yeah. panicked. Yeah, 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 and yeah, they've just panicked and retracted everything. Now the retraction didn't work. A mob went to the offices where the newspaper was printed and burned the place to the ground, tarring and feathering two Mormons in the process. 
Now, the Mormons didn't leave. They stayed in Missouri, which provoked more violence. Mobs attacked many Mormon settlements, so much so that a couple people would end up dying from it. And things were getting so heated that the Lieutenant Governor, Lilburn Boggs, raised a militia to stop the violence. But he was purely on the side of the Missourians and told the Mormons to put down any weapons and leave the area peacefully. All the while, the militia was raiding and destroying Mormon homes and belongings. In the end, over 1,200 Mormons fled that night and spread out to places like Clay County and a place called Far West, which is situated northwest of Missouri, some 50-odd miles away from Independence. Okay, so, break time. It's been very wordy. We've gone quite far. If you are needing a break, this would probably be the best time to do it. Um, so, yeah, if you want to do that, pause. Come back to us in a bit. If you're ready to carry on, let's carry on. Now, it's here in Far West that Joseph Smith, having run for 200 miles away from his creditors and angry ex-Mormons, was heading, followed by the majority of those still loyal to him. What had the potential to be a thriving community back in Ohio had collapsed, and the whole of the Mormon church was on the move to Far West. Now, those in Far West were pleased to see their prophet joining them, Remember, they saw the uh, failure of the Kirtland Bank as God's work to get him to come out to Missouri. Remember, they were remember before I was saying they were really pissed off that he was like, oh, Missouri's the promised land, but you don't live here. Um, and mm. they were saying, well, okay, well, God gave you a revelation to make a bank because he knew the bank would fail. And then by that failing, you would end up coming to Missouri. So that was all God's work. And he was like... He mm -hmm. was just sort of going along with it and was like, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. You're absolutely right. It was all God's plan. Totally not me just fucking up. Now, in an attempt to rebrand the Mormons, Joseph Smith had them change their name to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, I know the Mormon, uh, the, 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 I know the phrase Mormon can be used as a pejorative and has commonly been used by enemies of Mormons in the past. But some LDS people still use the term Mormon or just don't get overly offended by it, right? You know, that's the whole thing that their religion started with. It was the Book of Mormon. So a lot of them use the term Mormon. It makes sense. Now, there is a whole thing at the moment. Uh, this is with the current head of the church who wants people to stop using the term Mormon. And he even wants people, a part of the church, to stop using the abbreviation LDS um, he wants them to use the full term, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, at all times when people refer to their religion. Um, and his reason being is that if you was to just say, uh, if someone was to ask you, oh, what church are you from? And you just said, oh, LDS. Apparently that, that offends Christ and he gets very upset about it if you don't use the actual phrase. You have to say the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and that gives Jesus a boner. Um, and if you don't, he gets very <laughs> offended by it. Which I just... I think we're too far gone now, though. The world knows them as Mormons, and you're never going to be able to oh, reverse sure. it. Yeah. And like I say, it was once used as a pejorative and sometimes has been used, uh, just for clarification, in case you are uh, uh, of the LDS faith. I'm not using it as a pejorative in any way. It's just the way that I've always been told it is. Um, anyway, uh, 
Another way to reinforce themselves was to become a little militant. See, the Mormons were fed up with being chased out of town by mobs who didn't like them. They believed that Missouri was the promised land and they were going to stay there. They began to form a small military group, um, but it had to be kept under wraps. If the Missourians found out that this religious group that they'd been hounding for years was starting to get brave, they could genuinely face extinction. Secret groups like the Brothers of Gideon, the Daughters of Zion, the Sons of Dan and the Danites were formed. It's quite a clever idea. You can't have a standing army, so you have a secret one with secret handshakes and secret ways of speaking to one another, and it's quite clever and cool. And people really become part of something more. Again, it's really cult leader-like, you know. Um, you're now, you're not just a soldier. You're a soldier of Christ, and you're defending his people. That brings people together even more. You've got a more of a purpose. I, I think it's such a clever idea. And the Danites were the most famous of the bunch. Their job was to obey the presidency of the church, quote, right or wrong, and were made up of some of the most fundamentalist people in the church. Now, these groups of men were led by um, Samson Avard, and with good reason. See, Joseph was not often the man in front when it came to things that could possibly go wrong. Oftentimes, he would use divine revelation and use that as an excuse if it went wrong. It wasn't me. It was God's idea and it went wrong because God wanted it to. Or in the case of the banking society that collapsed, Joseph put himself down on the books as a lowly teller, not the head of the bank. So when it went wrong, it wasn't his fault. I'm just a lowly teller. I, I didn't have anything to do with it. Now, here he's doing the same. He's definitely aware of these little secret military groups and he gives his approval behind closed doors, but publicly he does not know about them. He's not involved. Plus, Joseph knows that he's a rubbish military leader. Now, um, as I was mentioning earlier in terms of like missing things out, <clears throat> some of you who know a heck of a lot more about Mormon history than I do... Um, I've definitely been screaming at your phone or your computer being like, oh my God, Joseph, Ryan hasn't mentioned Joseph's little military excursion to Missouri in the mid 1830s when the Missouri Mormons were struggling with locals. And the only reason I've left that out is because there is a heck of a lot of history that I can't cover it all. So I have to be picky and choosy as to what I cover in more detail. Um, but I am mentioning it now. So sharp. <laughs> In short, though, it was a disaster. Joseph led a small paramilitary group to aid Missouri Mormons with the promise uh, of help from the Missouri militia, but then the Missouri militia left them high and dry, disease took hold, some of the Mormons died from disease, and the whole thing was just a bit of a shit show and they went back to Ohio. If you want to know more, I, I would recommend you look into it, but honestly, there is not that much to it. So when it came to military endeavours, Joseph really had no business organising a military. That was Samson Avard's job. Not that it made much difference when the Mormon War of 1838 came around. Now, it started in um, a city called Gallatin in Missouri. It was election day and many were making their way to vote, including Mormons. Problem was that one of the candidates for the election was a man named William Penniston, who didn't have many positive things to say about the Mormons in the past. When he realised that they were a sizeable community that could swing an election result 
with their numbers, he actually tried to retract this. So basically, he was like, oh, Mormons are the worst. We don't like Mormons. And then they've gone, you do realise there's a lot of them. And if they all turned up to vote, you would lose. And he's like, ah, shit. Okay, Mormons are fine. They're really good people. I like them a lot. And the Mormons just saw right through it. They were like, bollocks. No, no, no. That's not how it works. And so when he found that out, he changed his mind again and was like, you know what? Mormons are dicks. I don't like them. And he had 200 non-Mormons gather up around the voting house to try and stop any Mormon that came around to vote because he just knew he would lose. Um, now, around 30 hmm. Mormons actually showed up to vote and were told that they had no more right to vote than black people. And Good Lord. I, I am put, I am putting that a heck of a lot nicer than it was actually said. Yes, I can imagine. Yes. They weren't having it. An argument began, which quickly became physical. 30 against 200, you'd think the Mormons would be toast, but they managed to push them all back. Luckily, nobody died in the altercation, and the 200 people that were being pushed back, they left, but they left to go and find weapons to fight them all, threatening to kill any Mormon that they find, be it man, woman, or child. And this was the spark that kicked off the Mormon War. Word had got back to Smith in Far West that it had been a bit of a bloodbath, which as obviously we know it wasn't. It's just rumour. It was time to rally the newly formed military. They were all riled up. In fact, Signey Ridden, you know, the conservative guy who got rid of hot drinks for everyone, um, in a speech to the group before, he said that they would no longer put up with this shit. And that's not a quote. He's <laughs> just, just not putting up with it. Uh, but he, he would go on to say that if a war was to come up between Mormons and anyone else, it would be a war of extermination. So these guys really mean business. They're like, nah, no, we're done with this, man. We're, if we're going in, we're going hard. Now, I shan't go in too much detail of the war because this is not a war podcast. Um, we didn't go into the details of warfare with Churchill or Hitler. In fact, uh, James, your episode on Mad Jack Churchill, we didn't go too much into the battles and he no. actively fought in a war. So we're not doing that. So here's a few highlights. Um, Joseph, along with his newly formed Mormon military, formed up and headed out to a place called um, Adam Ondi Arman which is somewhere that Joseph had named and proclaimed that a temple must be built on the site. It, it wasn't. Um, anyway, when they got there to investigate the situation, they quickly found out that there were no deaths in the fracas that occurred at Gallatin and that they'd kind of mobilised for no real reason. But they had, however, heard a rumour that Adam Black, who is a judge in the region... Um, he was forming a mob to oust the Mormons. So the Mormons instead was like, okay, new plan, new plan. We're, we're going to go to Adam Black uh, and, and we're going to tell him that we're, we're not happy. <laughs> I just, I love the idea that they went there and were like, right, we're here to save everyone and fight. Why? Because there was a bloodbath over in Gallatin. No, there wasn't. <laughs> yes, there was. No, there wasn't. Okay. All right. Never mind. <laughs> run away, run away. Um, so anyway, they, they headed over to Adam Black's house. Uh, they marched in and they stormed the building and they were like, right, Judge Adam Black, you're going to sign this piece of paper which states that you have no intention of forming a mob. You've no intention of taking part in a mob that would be anti-Mormon. Um, and, and, and that'll be about it. And he's like, I kind of can't really do much about it. There's like, you know, I'm being held here against my will. So he signed it. 
and as you can imagine was rather upset about the whole ordeal and said that he only signed it because he felt threatened which is fair um he was not a friend of the mormons at all no way in fact, the Mormons would go around burning down homes and buildings, and in retaliation, non-Mormons would burn down homes and buildings and forcefully evicted people from their homes. And then there was the Battle of Crooked River, um, which was the tip of the iceberg. Here, the Mormons thought that they had come across an anti-Mormon mob just across the river and immediately began to fight them. Gun smoke filled the air and whatnot, and the Mormons won the battle at a greater cost uh, see mm. three of three or so of their men had died and only one person on the mob side died um, but they won the battle which is cool um, but then, then then there was a big problem because then they realised that they weren't actually fighting the mob um, that was anti-Mormon they'd actually started a fight against the state militia um, which they weren't supposed to do because if you fight against the state militia that becomes treason and treason is punishable by death Mm which doesn't, that's not very clever. <laughs> now, when Governor Lilburn Boggs found out about this little battle, he did his best Palpatine impression and issued Missouri Executive Order 44, stating, quote, The Mormons must be treated as enemies and must be exterminated or driven from the state if necessary for the public peace. To this date... It is the only known instance of an extermination order on American soil. Really? Yes. This dude actually ordered extermination of Mormons. Humans. Just humans mm. being a bit different. He was like, kill them all. Get rid of them. Yeah. Get rid of them. It's intense. It's intense, isn't it? Um, now, the Missouri militia followed the order to the letter, which is when the massacre of Hans Mill happened. A large force stormed the town. One old man was hacked to pieces. People were shot from the tree line like a turkey shoot, not caring for the children that may have got in the way. In fact, one nine-year-old boy was pulled out from his hiding spot. The militia man supposedly said, quote, Nits will make lice and shot the boy point blank in the head. Jeez. Nine years old. That's brutal, isn't it? Now, around 30 or so Mormons were living in Hans Mill at this time. By the end of it, 17 had been murdered and the rest had fled, hoping to make it as far as far west where Joseph Smith and the rest of his group had settled in for a siege. Now, Joseph, knowing that there was no match for the militia, sent envoys to, I'm not joking, I believe this is what he said, he sent them out to go beg like a dog for peace, like he was seriously scared. Mm. Um publicly though that was not the case he was like no 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 we're 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 strong we are god's people we have angels at our side who will defend us in private he was like no you seriously need to go fucking beg like a dog and get this done like he was totally shitting himself mm -hmm. um peace came at a cost though the conditions were that all of the mormon leaders were to surrender to be tried for treason all Mormon property was to be confiscated by the state. And finally, all Mormons not being tried for treason were to leave Missouri for good. Any Mormon who did not follow these conditions would be met with the same fate of those at Hans Mill. Joseph Smith, along with Sidney Rigdon, Parley Pratt and a few others were arrested and held for treason. And remember Samson Avar, the dude who was put in charge of operating this Mormon army? Oh, yeah, yeah. He turned coat so fast 
all to save his own skin. He was like, no, fuck him. I'm not interested. Joseph Smith's a dude. He wants to create a, a kingdom of his own, a theocracy in the United States, in your own borders. That's what he wants to do. You probably get rid of him right now. Please save me. Um, well, that was an immediate hanging sentence for Joseph Smith. They're like, well, that is full on treason then, isn't it? That is evidence yeah. of the highest order. Um, Little Burn Boggs ordered for Smith and the others to be hung the next morning. Luckily for them, the man in charge of guarding them was a guy called General Donovan. Um, he'd been quite, he'd he'd become quite friendly with the Mormons and said was he was kind of like, ah, oh, listen, I know these guys are a bit weird, but actually, when you speak to them, they're fine. They're all right. They're harmless. They're fine. Just let them get on with it. Um, so he was a bit friendly toward them, and he was like, no, I'm not going to just execute them randomly. Like they need a fair trial or something. They need to have something like that. That's not how we do things here. Um, so they got really lucky with that guy. Um, mm. Smith instead was sent to Liberty Jail, where he would spend the next four months awaiting trial. Meanwhile, the rest of the Mormons, who are now refugees and in need of a home, found a new temporary leader in a man named Brigham Young. He joined the church a few years before, having read the Book of Mormon and believing every single bit of it. He was the president of the Quorum of Twelve, um, as far as I know, I may have got this a little bit wrong. These 12 guys are supposed to be the modern equivalent of Jesus' original disciples. Um, they're like apostles. And it's like, uh, I don't get this continuation of things. And like, well, Jesus had 12 guys. So we have to have 12 guys. And we're just the same. I, I, don't, I find that bizarre. I find it odd. Just like, you know, that's, yeah. the, that's the OG. Just believe it and follow it. I don't get it. Why do you have to be like that too? Um, anyway. Brigham led 14,000 Mormon refugees out of Missouri on a long walk to Illinois, where they eventually stopped and found a place called Nauvoo in 1839. It wasn't a great start. Nauvoo is situated on the banks of the Mississippi, so the land was marshy and disease spread among the population. But eventually they figured it all out and they began construction on the city. Now, word had gotten out about the massacre at Hans Mill, and sympathy for Mormons had developed a little, with people from Illinois allowing them to sort of settle. They're like, you know what, you've been through quite a lot, just listen, settle here, keep to yourselves, do your own thing, and we'll leave you be. Which is quite nice. Mm -hmm. Now, Smith was still in jail awaiting trial, but that sympathy stretched far further than Illinois. The jailers that were holding Smith, Rigdon, and the others felt for them, and they were able to assist in their escape. They were kind of like, listen, get me a bottle of whiskey, I'll down the fucker, let me pass out, and you can just walk out. That was pretty much how it, the escape went. And it worked, right? The, the guy downed his whiskey, fell asleep, kind of left the door ajar, and they got out, they escaped, and Smith made it to Nauvoo. And here is where you could call it the good times for Smith. They were pretty settled in Nauvoo. They didn't suffer the same kinds of resentment for just simply existing. Um, they lived at peace. Uh, they were granted autonomy by Illinois. Extradition to Missouri was not an option for them. Um, they were granted their own right to create a university. They were the civil government in their own city and were very welcoming of all people coming to live there, whether you were a Mormon or not, which is obviously... You know, they've got double intentions there. They just want you to convert as soon as you live there. You know, oh, listen, we'll take anyone. If, even if you're not Mormon, just come live with us. Look how nice we are. You should be a Mormon. Um, now, Nauvoo was the second largest place in Illinois. Chicago was the only city in the state that was bigger in population. That's how, like, 
successful these Mormons were at city building. Mm. Now, all is going well in Nauvoo. But what about behind closed doors at Joseph's home? Let's finally talk about what we've all been waiting for, polygamy. Remember Joseph's brief affair with the 17-year-old Fanny Alger? I do, yeah. Well, in the year 1835, Joseph had a revelation from God that Mormon wives were commanded to let their husbands essentially do whatever they wanted. This um, revelation said, quote, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. In essence, it says, you don't question what Jesus says about the church, and he's the head of the church. So why would you say anything about your husband, who's the head of the wife? In essence, wives, treat me as you would treat Christ. That's a bit. Again, he just makes revelations that suits his own needs. It, it does sound like he uses God as a cop-out, which, I mean, fair. If you've got the the, the power to do that, I, I think most people would abuse it as well. Oh, yeah. No, you absolutely would. Now, we know that Smith has a wandering eye, and he's had trouble keeping it in his pants already. So now in Nauvoo, what's to stop an all-powerful prophet just sort of going all in? Well, surprisingly, quite a lot. Monogamy has been such a deep-rooted belief in our society that even today we see polyamorous couples and can't quite wrap our heads around it. But if you have a clear, if you have a Christian or religious background, generally, it's very clear that you just don't cheat on your spouses, right? So if you follow the Bible or anything, you take um, uh, a verse and that in Hebrews in the Bible that says, "quote." Let marriage be held in honour among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Basically saying, don't cheat on anyone. It's not fair. Don't do it. Yeah. It's not nice. Now, if Joseph was to come out with the whole, oh, by the way, guys, you can just sleep with whoever you want if you fancy it, because God says so, he would almost certainly lose his grip on power. Everyone's almost been brought up in, like I say, a very monogamous society. You can't just change that tomorrow. It has to be sort of bedded in over time. Um, he would, mm. But, but he, he really can't be bothered to sort of spend the rest of his life trying to hide his affairs from his wife. Um, he, he's like, he can't be asked. He really can't. So he will fundamentally change his entire religion to just make that work for him. So knowing the scripture very well, he went right back to basics. He used the examples of Abraham and Jacob, uh, amongst others, who in the Old Testament had taken more than one wife and used this line from Exodus, quote, And if a man entice a maid that is not betrothed and lie with her, he shall surely endow her to be his wife. Basically, it says, you can lie with any woman you like, you just have to marry her. The problem is not the sleeping around with other women that are not your wives, it's the not making them your wife that is the problem. That's kind of how he got around it. He's like, ah, oh, dude, I, I can sleep with whoever I want. I just need to make you my wife. And, and because Abraham and Jacob and other people, they had, uh, they had other wives and God allowed that to happen. And we are God's people. He would allow that to happen for us. Therefore, I can take as many wives as I like. The logic's yes. interesting. Yes, the logic is interesting. Just, have you ever seen, you ever seen New Girl? I, I, no, I, don't, I can't say I have. 
No, just, it just if anyone has, they'll get the reference. There's just a scene in that where Schmidt's dating two people at once and Nick has a go at him because you can only have one wife and it's just really funny. <laughs> and that's just the thing that comes to mind. Yeah. I do find it interesting that, you know, this is the problem of <laughs> Ryan Bash's religion. Well, this entire series is that, but um, this is the problem with religion in that it's interpretable, if, if that's a word. Like It can just be interpreted in any way you like to just make it fit your own needs. And this is exactly what he's done here. He's just interpreted this and abused his power um, to be like, well, listen, I can sleep with whoever I like. Just got to marry her. Easy. Just like they did in the Bible. Now, exactly like they did in the Bible. Exactly. Now, like I said, he uses the examples of Abraham and Jacob in the Old Testament as justification for having many wives. But, what he and I, I've really looked into this. What he fails to do is properly understand the meaning behind these parables and stories. Sure, he's interpreting it his own way, and this might just be another interpretation. But Abraham in the story is promised a son by God, but he doesn't trust that it will happen. So he decides to take it in his own hands by taking another wife, showing his lack of faith in God. That's the point of the story. Abraham had a lack of faith in God, and that's the point. You need to trust in God. Things will work out. You just need to believe and trust. And Abraham didn't do that. That's the point of the story. And then I believe later on, God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son to then really show his faith, which he then goes ahead with. And then he's like, oh, no, stop. Don't kill your son. Just take off a bit of his penis. Like, that's the whole point of the story, I believe. Oh, you mentioned a Family Guy sketch earlier. I'm going to mention one of my favourite is when Abraham and his son are just walking down the mountain. I forget what his son's oh, name yeah. was. And his son just turns to him and was like, do you want to tell me what the fuck that was? <laughs> that's such a good... I love that. That's such a good moment. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's a fair question it is a fair question right uh, but but this is what i'm saying i think he's missing the point of the story he's like well abraham had another wife and it's like yes yes he did because god promised him that he would have another son he looked at his wife and was like you're a bit too old we can't have another son i'll have another wife and that will give me a son and it's like you're not believing in god to do it though you've done it off your own back he's missed the point there um and, and and then, for instance, take Jacob, right? Jacob also has two wives, um, but it's never a harmonious relationship. It's a metaphor in that it, it's a metaphor for the fact that it doesn't work and it should only ever be between two people as God intended. When God gave Eve to Adam, that was the first marriage. That's how God intended it to go. Everyone else is not doing it as God intended. That's the point of the stories because they never quite work. Whereas Joseph is kind of, just looking at it he's missing the point of the stories but he's just definitely using it to his own advantage mm. uh, isn't it odd i'm always preaching it how it ought to be i'm it's so bizarre. <laughs> it's so weird are you saying people use religion to to benefit themselves i <laughs> uh, yes yes i am what <laughs> um i had this debate my dad weirdly the other day turned around to me and went who wrote the bible and I was like, that's a, that's a fucking big question, isn't it? Because lots of people. Yeah. I was like, the one we use at the minute is probably the King James Version because obviously monarchs just sort of dabble to make it bend to their will. Yeah. But he was like, yeah, but who wrote like the first one? I was like, I don't, don't know him by name. But there isn't. There's, like you said, it's just a collection of stories that were put together. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Mad. do you remember the American politician Mitt Romney? He was running against Obama. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, 
Yeah. Mitt Romney, famously, is a Mormon. It's the closest the Mormons have ever got to the highest office in the land. Um, his great great grandfather is Parley Pratt, one of the one of Joseph's closest followers, who was in Liberty Jail with him after the Mormon War of eighteen thirty eight. Um, oh. which is interesting. Is I find that interesting, and of course, um, uh, that would mean that Mitt Romney is in somewhat a uh, a creation from polygamy somewhere along the line. Um, mm. Well, it was. Mitt Romney's great-great-grandfather, Parley Pratt, who raised the issue at hand, he had a rather interesting question. Well, probably an awkward one, actually. Parley Pratt's first wife had died, and Pratt had since remarried, but he had a very awkward question for the prophet. What will happen when Pratt dies and goes to heaven? Will both his wives be there waiting for him? I find that a really interesting question that even today in Christian societies is a is an interesting one. You know, um, if, if your partner dies and you remarry, you now have two wives in the afterlife, surely. If you go to heaven, they're both going to be there. That makes sense. Yeah. It's a genuinely interesting question that I'd never thought about. And I was like, wow, that's actually quite cool. Um, now, Joseph said, yes, both wives would be there waiting for you um, and, and that he shouldn't worry. God is favourable upon people having two wives in the afterlife and they will live happily ever after. Which really was just his moment of just opening the door. He was just like, yeah, I'm going to use this moment. I'm going to fucking use this. This is my perfect time. I'm going to open this door. Now, funnily enough, around the same time, a non-Mormon known as Udney Hay Jacob wrote a pamphlet called The Peacemaker, which defended and advocated polygamy. Now, the pamphlet, suspiciously, was published by someone called J. Smith. And it stated that for normal Christians, divorce is not an option. And there were many men who were cursed with unpleasant wives who they no longer loved. And since... That's so funny. I know. <laughs> and since sex without love is a sin, sex with a woman that you didn't love was also a sin. Therefore... To keep God happy, you should marry again and all live in the same household. I, what logic. I love it. It's just it's completely disregarding the woman's rights to be happy. Oh, yeah. A woman is an object in this, in this scenario. She has no say in anything here. Um, remember, it's, it's Joseph and his lads. Joseph and the boys. Um it is a proper little boys club, isn't it? It is a boys club. Now, Joseph kept it quiet, but by 1841, the 36-year-old had married his first plural wife, a 26-year-old named Louisa Beeman. Within the year... I want to stress that. Within the year, Joseph would be plurally married to Lucinda Harris, Priscinda Buell... Zena Huntington-Jacobs, Mary Rollins, Patty Sessions, Clarissa Hancock, Sally Gully, and Nancy Hyde. And that's not all of them. Joseph... That's too many, Ryan. It's too many. Joseph would marry two pairs of sisters, and in one case, a mother and a daughter. In all, he would take what is accepted as 49 wives... With ages, oh with ages ranging from fifty-eight down to fourteen. Nah, that's unacceptable. Nonce. Yeah. <laughs> it, that's that's just. It's crazy, ugh. isn't it? Like, there's there's a, th like I uh, listen. 
I can almost get on board, not that I'm necessarily condoning it, but, you know, people live in polyamorous relationships and they get on fine. I can get on board with maybe Joseph being like, listen, I need another wife. And he just takes another wife. Um, 49, though? Do you really need 49 wives? I struggle with one woman, Ryan. I won't lie to you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but, but what he's clearly done is he's looked at like his congregation or whatever and been like, you're attractive. I'm having you. You're attractive. He gets like first pick. That's literally what he's accused of, yeah. And life would be so easy if you could just look at someone who's attractive and be like, yeah, you're mine. And then they are. But then that's not how the world works. Yeah. That's that, That's borderline human trafficking. It's... I mean, also... Yeah, it's, not, it's, it's an exception. You're the prophet. Who's going to say no to the prophet? Yeah, exactly. Now... Because God has told you it's... I haven't, I haven't put it in here um, just because uh, I don't necessarily have the time, but there is this thing about how... Remember I said that Mormonism is kind of like old-timey sci-fi in that there are planets and aliens oh, and yeah. gods are aliens and all this kind of stuff. Um, there's this thing where... Um, you can, when you die, you can become a god, right? So one of um, it, Mormon beliefs is that God was a man who became a god, right? And uh, you can create planets and solar systems by having children and uh, creating families and all this stuff. And if, if when you die, you become a god, you can create your own worlds and planets and that would be your heaven, right? And there's, there's, a, there's, a, the, there's a feeling and a thinking that um, if you marry more than one woman, you can create whole solar systems and universes by having children with these people. And you would all live together as one big happy family in this solar celestial empire of your own. It's really interesting and bizarre. Uh, and I, I haven't gone into it too much, obviously. Um, but that, that that's like, there's, there's, that that's one thing that they have in the back in their back pocket as being like, well, no, this is, uh, this is our faith and this is what we believe and blah, blah, blah. as like a justification. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, it sounds lovely. It sounds really cool. Um, you know, you get to transition into a god and have your own planet. I like it, but yeah, it's a bit yeah. bullshit in it. Um, now, when Joseph told his closest boys that they should all be engaging in plural marriage, being like, "Bros, guys, this is fucking sick. Like, this you should definitely be doing this." Right? A lot of them didn't take to it at all. In fact, many had vocal opposition to it, including Brigham Young, the guy that brought the refugees to Nauvoo. He said, quote, it was the first time in my life that I had desired the grave and I could hardly get over it for a long time. And when I saw a funeral, I felt to envy the corpse, its situation and to regret that I was not in the coffin. He really didn't like the idea of being married to more than one woman. I'd rather die than get my mm. end away. But it really didn't. Definitely get. Yeah. Surprisingly, considering how, how in tense that uh, quote is it really didn't take long for Joseph to convince Brigham Young um, he just had to play the whole God commands it card and it was so Brigham would go all in in fact Brigham Young in his lifetime would go on to take 50 plus wives uh, and would later be quoted as saying the only men who become gods even the sons of God are those who enter into polygamy what a U-turn. Like, honestly, faster than bloody Liz Truss for that U-turn. <laughs> now, the thing is, when you get enough people on side, it makes things a heck of a lot easier. Joseph was even marrying himself to other men's wives, much to their protest. 
again, that's cult leader like. All cult leaders do yeah, that. Yeah, you're just taking what yeah, you want. All cult leaders do it. We talked about the like Om Shinrikyo. Um, you know, you end up just sleeping with other men's wives, and you're like, "What are you going to do about it? I'll, I will excommunicate you. I will kick you out if you don't go with it." And they have to go with it. Um, so yeah, much their protest, they weren't necessarily a fan of Joseph being like, "I'm going to marry your wife," and they're like, "Ah, oh, I don't, I don't think you should." And then, and then Joseph would just be like, "Well, God said," and then there really isn't much you can do about it. It's just, he's a monster. Um, the real trouble lied at home, though, with Emma. Remember, she was always a bit on the fence when it came to Joseph's whole religion thing, right? She's a supportive partner who stuck by her husband through thick and thin. But this was something that she really struggled with. She could not stand the blatant disrespect for her and their marriage from Joseph. Now, I can imagine it was a very awkward conversation, there's a rather slickly made documentary called Joseph Smith, American Prophet, which is created by PBS. And I looked into it is heavily funded by Mormon money as it's very skewed mm. as a documentary, which naturally um, shows the moment that Joseph tells Emma about plural marriage. And it paints it out as such a heavy burden on him. And he really doesn't want to do it. But God's commanded it to happen. So it's got to happen. And it's like, oh, he's such a victim. Oh, I don't want to take another wife, Emma. I don't want to do it. But God's told me to. And it's like, oh, get over yourself. Stop lying. And they Because re- obviously, you know, in today's world, uh, Joseph Smith is looked at rather negatively because of a lot of it, because of the polygamy. And a lot of Mormons obviously mm. don't condone it, but in t- in making this documentary, they're like they 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 they're making excuses for him, um, and 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 he, even he does this right. Um, what what it shows accurately in the documentary is that Emma is is totally against it. She immediately has a rejection of it. Right, she at no point is ever on board with it, and Joseph knew that that was always going to be the case, which is why the majority of his marriages were done in secret behind her back before he had even conceived, uh, before he had even convinced her of it. This poor fucking woman, the amount of shit she went through from being in a room with him while he sat there with his face in a hat. Yes. (laughs) And just accepting it. People spitting on the floor. She has been through hell and she has stayed like faithful to him, which God only knows how. And now he's doing yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Behind her back, it's like, oh god, that's so hard. And like everyone else knows. Well, those that marry and know, and oh, it's it's it's. Oh, it's... I feel so, if 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 she ever became like a serial killer and just mass murdered people, I'd get it. I'd fully get it. <laughs> One thing I do find funny in this story is a conversation that Joseph had with his brother Hiram. He's going on and on about how he can't quite get Emma to go all in with this polygamy thing, despite the fact that Joseph had another revelation on the matter. See, an angel had appeared to him and commanded him to engage in plural marriage, which he disobeyed. He was like, no, I'm not doing that. You can't make me do that. I love my wife. It's not happening. Fuck off. So the angel disappeared. Then the angel came back a second time and told him to do it again. And again, Joseph was like, no, listen. You can't convince me. I'm a I'm an honest, good, godly man. I won't I won't betray my wife, even though I've cheated on her once before. But never mind. I I will not do it. So then the angel disappeared, and it was only on the third time did the angel come back with a sword in his hand and threatened Joseph 
that he has to do it. It is the will of the Lord. Only then did Joseph concede and say, okay, fine, fine, I will do it. I will do as God asks, as difficult as it may be, I will do it. That's the story that he said to to Hiram. And he's like, listen, that's what happened, bro. Um, I don't want to do this, but that's the story. What am I going to do? Now, we've all been there, though, haven't we? Like, you don't want to cheat on your partner, then all of a sudden an angel turns up with a sword and it just, the whole thing gets very messy. Oh, yeah. Common occurrence. Yeah, oh, yeah, common occurrence. And obviously, we know Joseph has an issue with annoying angels like Moroni kept turning up, tripping him up. But <laughs> like, yeah, you know. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now, the problem was, this revelation was not written down or officiated. See, plural marriage is illegal, even to this day. And to write down that your religion officially backs it, that would be troublesome. Now, Hiram told Joseph that all he would have to do is simply explain this revelation to Emma and that surely she'd be on the side uh, of Joseph, right? He'd be like, listen, dude, you're telling me this happened. Go tell Emma and then she'll go with it, right? It's easy. To which, supposedly, Joseph uh, said to his brother, quote, you do not know Emma as well as I do, <laughs> which I fucking love. He's like, no, <laughs> you, listen, bro, she's not, <laughs> you don't know her. She's not going to go with it. So, like I said, Emma was never for polygamy, right? But she had to play along, mainly because she was threatened by God himself in a revelation from Joseph. Quote, But if she shall not abide this commandment, she shall be destroyed, saith the Lord, for I am the Lord thy God, and will destroy her if she abide not in my law. Which is a bit of a dick move. Um... She knew him like the back of her hand, man. She knew he's bullshitting her. And I, I, I'm, I'm totally convinced of it. I know she, I'm convinced she knows that he's a fraud and that he's just making shit up. And she's like, no, Joseph, I'm not doing it. But to, to pull out the God card on her and be like, oh, God says you have to, otherwise he'll destroy you. That's abuse. It certainly does sound quite abusive. <laughs> it's awful, man. <laughs> He might as well threaten to punch her or something in case if she didn't do it. Like he, it's it's worse than that because he's saying God will make sure that you actually don't exist anymore. And yeah. you know, if some people at that time would have gone with it, it's mental, mental abuse, isn't it? Oh yeah. Now she begrudgingly went with it, with some rules. She would get to pick the people that he marries, totally unaware that he'd already married half of Navu. <laughs> um, <laughs> So when she did finally pick two women for Joseph to marry, turned out he'd already married both of them behind Emma's back. Ugh. I know. So to save face, he went along with the whole wedding ceremony again in front of Emma. I, I just think I love the idea of it. They're like, Joseph, why are we doing this? Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> We're, I, I'm going to choose you to marry me. Yeah, but Joseph, we've already, shut up. Someone do this now, quick, please. Just get it over and done with. Um, and I love the idea that she's gone, I think I'm picking these two. Like, she knows him so well. Like, he's like, oh, good choice. Good choice, Emma. I would have picked them myself. I did. I definitely <laughs> did pick them. 
um, what's upsetting is that she's just none the wiser, like you said. Like you just, I just feel for her. It's such a dick move, like yeah. from Joseph. Like she just doesn't know. Now Joseph really is believing his own bullshit, right? He thinks himself like a king, a ruler, almost a god on earth who can do whatever he wants. He even had political aspirations. In one occasion, he ran for president and used his followers to put the word out. That would have been weird for a Mormon president because at that time anyway, polygamy could have been the norm for America. Now, he believed that Nauvoo should be a theocracy and should not be beholden to US government laws. He commanded that a new temple should be built in Nauvoo and it would be even bigger than the one in Kirtland, Ohio. And he was becoming an absolute monster. Now, History shows us time and time again that when a ruler gets too powerful and abuses that power, they begin to make mistakes and more importantly, enemies. Joseph had made those enemies close to home. Two of his closest advisors had fallen out with him, partly over economic decisions for Nauvoo, but mainly because Joseph had proposed marriage to both of these men's wives and they didn't like it, (laughs) surprisingly. Now, Smith had them excommunicated, thinking that if there were going to be trouble, they can just sod off. And this became a weapon for Smith in later years, just excommunicating whoever was a problem. Now, the two men who were excommunicated formed a separate group of people who didn't like Smith, and many of them were former Mormons and sought indictments for perjury and polygamy, both obviously crimes. Now, for Smith, it must have been like the back, being like back in Ohio all over again. The dissidents who also created uh, the dissidents also created a newspaper called the Nauvoo Expositor, where they called for church reform. It denounced Joseph and his polygamous ways, claiming he was using his position to lure women to him so that he can lust over them. And they also claimed he was imaging himself to be a god. Now, to get on top of this, Joseph had his militia raid the printing building of the newspaper, which pissed off many media outlets as an attack on free speech, something I assume, James, you would be very like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. They're printing Mm. things that he doesn't like and he's just gone in and burnt the place down. That is an infringement on free speech. That's a step towards fascism. Oh, yes. Now, an editor for the Warsaw Signal, Thomas C. Sharp, made a call to arms and many small militia formed to find Joseph Smith and arrest him for his attack. Smith went on the run, as he is wont to do when things go bad, but it didn't last long. He was captured along with his brother Hiram and they were both to stand trial for inciting a riot in Carthage, where eventually the sentence was increased to treason. Uh, That one's not a good one. Now, on June 27th, 1844, Smith and his brother were held in a cell of the Carthage jail. It's not really known who gave the go-ahead for this, but a hundred militiamen with blackened faces stormed the jail and made their way to the cell where Joseph and Hiram were being held. Hiram was trying to block the door, but gunfire pierced through the wooden door, hitting Hiram. Then they burst through the door, and Hiram was shot four times and died. Joseph had a six-shooter that he smuggled into the jail. He emptied it at the mob, killing three, and then went to jump out the window. But as he was jumping out the window, he was hit by musket fire in the hip, the chest, and the shoulder. And as he plummeted to the floor, his last words were, quote, Oh Lord, my God. Upon landing on the floor, he managed to sit himself up 
But as quickly as he sat up, he slumped back down again, and the American prophet died. He was aged 38. He's 38? had one heck of, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's had one heck of a life for 38. All of this time, I thought he'd been doing. Oh, wow, I thought he was older. I thought he'd been doing this for a lot longer. This is what I'm saying. Like this whole this whole thing is in the span of maybe 20 years. Mad. I know it's crazy, right? Now, what he left behind was a power vacuum. The church needed a new leader. Now, many opposed the idea of a new leader and prophet, stating that Joseph was the prophet. You can't just replace him and nobody can take his place. But others didn't think so. One of those was Brigham Young, who was eventually sworn in as the second president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. As the new prophet, he had issues to deal with, the main one being that this newfound Mormon hatred that was left over because of what Joseph had done in his later days. And it brought back all the violence of the Missouri days and Brigham wasn't going to put up with it. He suggested that they head out west, outside of America, where they can form their own Zion and live in peace. By 1847, Brigham Young and the rest of his Mormon followers arrived in Salt Lake Valley in Utah and begun to set down roots. And it would go on to become Salt Lake City which is still around today and has a population of just over 200,000. Now, Brigham Young is an arsehole. <laughs> a massive arsehole. And he really is worth an episode on itself. But I need a break from Mormons. As I've already said, I've started to enjoy. <laughs> I've started to enjoy watching videos of the apostles. So I'm in grave danger of converting right now. <laughs> now... You might also be wondering what happened to Emma after Joseph's death. Well, I am, she, yeah. and, she and Brigham Young did not see eye to eye at all. They fell out, and when Brigham moved everyone to Salt Lake, Emma stayed in the abandoned Nauvoo. She was a bit of an outsider of the church. Um, she remarried two years later after Joseph's death and had um, and, and one of her sons would go on to form uh, the Reorganised Church of Latter-day Saints, or the RLDS, um, which today is a kind of serious extremist version of Mormonism. They're like, they right. like to stick back to the old times of Joseph Smith and all those kind of things. They're, they're a bit extremist. I don't know if you've mm. seen, um, uh, is it what is it called? Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. It's a Netflix documentary series uh, on, on the RLDS. It's genuinely worth a watch. It's I, think very, I think I've seen an episode of that, yeah. Very strict. Um because, yeah, there was, there was a whole thing when Joseph Smith died. They were like, well, surely his oldest son would take over from him. And obviously Brigham Young did instead. So he formed his own sect of Mormons. Uh, oh, and um, yeah, so she would live out the rest of her life. She died uh, an older lady. She, for the rest of her life, never, ever, ever um, gave any credence to Joseph's plural wives. Whenever asked how many wives did Joseph have, she'd say one, me. I mean, I respect she, that a lot. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, so, yeah, and she she had an all right life later on. Um, here's something for context. Around the time the Mormons set up shop in Salt Lake, Olive Oatman and her family with their sect of Mormonism that believed Zion was in California were gearing up for their fateful trip that would see her family slaughtered by Native Americans. So, yeah, Man. that's... Because I know we like to do that. What was happening around this time... 
Mm. And uh, obviously, Olive Oatman is the closest thing to the Mormons thing. And obviously, that she was a Mormon. So, yeah, that's what was happening with her. She was sort of gearing up to go on her fateful trip. Nice. Woo. Wow. Um, that's it. <laughs> wow. Well, you feel relieved? Uh, yes, I, I feel massively relieved. I can't believe we've done it. I've written out a little bit here, right? Um, I can't believe we've done it, right? We've we've finally finished the Mormon series. Well, the, the Joseph Smith section of it anyway. I may do a series on Brigham Young one day, but not for a while, right? I I, I know there's been no, so take, much... Take a break. Yeah, I know there's been I know there's been so much that I've left out and not covered, but honestly, I, I really can't do all of it. Otherwise, like I said earlier, it would become a podcast purely on Mormonism, and that's not what we are. So what I <laughs> what I wanted to do, obviously, was just have a person that we could follow throughout this journey into Mormonism. And now that he's dead in the story, which kind of gonna leave it there. Um thank you, Rowan, for your recommendation. You've kept me busy for a heck of a long time arguably too long um (laughs) i don't think we're going to be doing many more of these religious deep dives um whilst this has been fun and as we all know i'm not shy about voicing my opinions on religions and their absurdity i do worry about offending people of course i don't want to offend or upset anyone um i want people to be able to uh, do you know what i find interesting james is we have a lot of people that are religious who listen to us and they do message us and they're like, you know, listen, I like the show, despite the fact that I'm very anti-religion. I guess sometimes it's nice to hear your views contested. Like, I'm sure if someone set up a podcast where they just contest our views, I'd listen to that as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, so despite what maybe people think, I, I do worry about offending people. Um, and I don't want to obviously upset or offend anyone. I want you to be able to come and join us and be able to basically have a conversation and uh, have a, a, a discussion with us, really. Um and I want people that are okay and open to being um, dissected a little bit. That's what I want. I want us to be able to have a good debate. Um, so anyway, yeah. Uh, some Unfortunately, some people can't take criticism without being offended too easily. So we're going to try and stay away from covering major religions and whatnot. Um, you know, of, of recent in the news, you know, things that have yeah, not gone yeah, too fair. well for people that have things to say about certain things. Now, with that said, we are not completely done with Mormons just yet. I know I said this was the last episode, but we do have another episode coming, and I'm so fucking excited for this. Um, now, I- I've mentioned her a few times on the episode. Listener Gina has been helping me out uh, throughout this series with um, explaining certain aspects of the Mormon faith and explaining her story within the church, um, which I've not obviously been able to incorporate into this side of the story because we're talking about the origins of Mormonism. Um, so, first of all, a massive thank you to Gina for your help. It has been invaluable. Um And so this other episode is that we're going to have our very first guest on the show, which is something I genuinely never thought we would do because it's not necessarily our format. Um, But yeah, we're going to have our very first guest on the show. So Gina is going to be joining us uh, in sort of a a smaller part four um, where we will be talking a little bit more about modern Mormon faith and her experience with it. And yeah, we're just so excited to find like to share that with you when when we've got it done. Mm. yeah you excited for that james that should be good it'd be nice to to get a different as much as i love listening to you it'd be nice to hear someone else's voice (laughs) yes 
<laughs> on that thank you everyone for listening to this episode because i know it's been long i know it's been wordy i know i've spoke a lot so if you've made it to the end you can have a pat on the back you can take some of the pats that i took away from the mormons for their anti-slavery thing um <laughs> uh, so yeah thank you very much for listening everyone um thank you for being so patient with us with this series as well because i know it's been long and it's been hard it's been a slog um but yeah thank you very much for everyone that has messaged us uh thank you uh, and all your kind words um Keep please keep reviewing and rating the show on Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts and whatnot. It really does help the show grow. Every week we get a little update on where we are in charts and we tend we fluctuate quite a lot. But um, it would be amazing if we can you know stay up there uh, and get more people joining us and and joining this big old community that we've got. Um, if you would like to support the show, of course, you can do so monetarily with donations on our Kofi page. And we also do have a merch store where you can pick up some T-shirts. It's my birthday in two weeks. So if you'd like to give me a birthday present, you could always donate to the show. <laughs> Is it? That's news to me. I'm, I'm glad I found that out. There you go. Um, <laughs> I will be 29. Bloody hell. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for listening to the show, everybody. And, um, yeah, we'll see you on the next one, whenever that may be. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.